do Tim Tebow, Jordan Sparks, and Lolo Jones all have in common? What's the big brewer? Ha ha ha! You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You can't handle the truth! Welcome to the beautiful campus of LCMSU, everyone. Who are you? I am the Chancellor. Yeah, baby. Master yeah. Marcus Zill. Hey, what is up, guys? Today, I wanted to talk about celibacy. Are you like a crazy person? From the People's Republic of Boulder in Boulder, Colorado at University Lutheran Chapel, Pastor Joshua Hayes. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Now, you've been there uh, serving as the campus pastor for students at University of Colorado, Go Buffaloes, for uh, what, three years, something like that? Yep, I'm just finishing my third year. But uh, anyways, we have been going through a lot of the sectionals that we had at our recently concluded witness conference in January, and you chose a topic, the witness of the celibate life, which uh, was very, very unique to say the least. Why did you choose that topic? Are you like a crazy person? Well, basically, uh, very few of our college students, uh, undergrads, are married. So most of them are living celibately, uh, the single life, that is. And there's a lot of pressure on a college campus and, and anywhere else to conform to the new sexual morality and the dorms can be pretty much like Sodom and Gomorrah and yet God has called them to live celibately so it seemed like a timely topic. So um, why don't you define the terms for us? So by celibacy uh, what I mean is being not married, living life as a single, uh, whether that's lifelong, you're just someone who just you have that special gift and, and we'll talk about that a little later but you just know that marriage isn't for you, you don't feel the need for be with a man or a woman and or you're just single and you're looking to get married as soon as possible if you're married you might also be during certain times or around uh, childbirth or something like that um, you might but that's sort of a, a temporary situation uh, chastity then just is a, a term for uh, keeping the sixth commandment uh, living a chaste and decent life in what we say and do which you can sin against in marriage or not in marriage Correct. Yeah. So there's marital chastity, which uh, manifests itself in faithfulness. And then there's uh, single or celibate chastity, which manifests in continence. So how did you tie this to witnessing? The reality is that um, Christians do live differently than Gentiles, than the rest of the world. And you see this in the New Testament. So in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, for example, it's mostly Jesus talking with Jews. And there, the Sixth Commandment issue that's uh, most talked about, that's the biggest problem, is serial divorce. So you have a lot of dis discussion about divorce and remarriage in the Gospels because it's a, it's a primarily a Jewish audience. Then you fast forward to St. Paul's epistles, and you have St. Paul talking to Gentiles, and there the discussion in the Sixth Commandment encompasses all manner of uh, questions regarding 
uh, sexuality, fornication, adultery, celibacy, marriage, all these things. I just explore the epistles. How many times does St. Paul have to tell them uh, not to engage in fornication or sexual immorality? Because honestly, I'm not really sure that they had ever heard that before. Hmm. Because in the in the Gentile world, that was just sort of normal. You just sort of, it's been estimated by scholars that the price for sex was about the price of a loaf of bread. So, I mean, imagine your, wow. your pagan guy goes, you know, gets his loaf of bread and he gets a prostitute on the way home and nobody thought different of it. Even in marriage, they, you know, usually have partners on the side. You had your your wife or your husband for legitimate heirs and then you just you might have partners on the side and nobody really thought too much of that That's we're not nice. as bad yet as the no, ancient world no, thanks, uh, thanks but to God you know we're sort of tending that way right. uh, i've even this is sort of an aside but i even have read just in the last couple of weeks calls to legalize prostitution in certain parts of the country and i mean we're definitely whether that happens or not that's our current trajectory well, and, you know, the point is, is that the norms, societal norms are shifting overall. I mean, things that we now consider normal. I mean, I actually think a lot of people just never have thought about the idea of not having sex before marriage. I mean, we kind of grew up assuming, right. well, of course you wouldn't do that. Of course right. you shouldn't do that. You know, right. cohabitation is just, that's kind of just a norm. Yeah. So again, so St. Paul actually has to tell these baby Christians coming out of a Gentile world about about these things because they, they haven't heard them before. They're not, they weren't raised with the, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. So he has to talk about homosexuality and sex before marriage. And so to go back to the question about witnessing, so Christians, especially on a college campus, especially like on a, in a dorm at a big state school, should look different than the pagans. And, and that's a witness in itself. Now, it's not the same. It's not speaking the gospel. But it is a conversation opener because, frankly, if you're if you're a girl, there's going to be pressure on you to do certain things. And I wish that I could. I mean, as bad as it is that it's that there's young men pressuring young women to 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 engage in marriage only things. Uh, the reality is, on campus, it goes the other way too. Hmm. And uh, you could be a young man pressured to do marriage only things by a non-Christian woman. So, but if you if you refuse these things, if you say, well, you know, I sort of living my life uh, by a different standard, you're going to stick out and people are going to start to suspect that you're a Christian. And that can open up some legitimate doors for conversation, especially after people are so damaged and hurt from trying all these things that didn't make them happy and wondering, you know, what. We witness to the gospel with every aspect of our lives when our neighbors see you know what what's different about us why do what makes us tick why do we act this way why do we not do the things the rest of everybody does so i you know i you know sometimes we we devalue the you know we always think of witnessing in terms of you know directly sharing the gospel and uh, these are indirect ways that we do this without even thinking that we're doing it yeah so maybe i should call it like pre-witnessing or something but no I, it's, I, a, it's a I, testimony I, to a christian life that it's sort of like if you're if you're an unbeliever and you're wondering, well, hey, who are the Christians? Well, it, you know, your one tip off might be, well, this person doesn't want to have sex till marriage. They might be a Christian. Oh, they could maybe they're Muslim. I don't know, but 
you know, it's it's one pre-witnessing uh, tactic. Well, and I off, suppose I that one one huge uh, example of the opportunity to witness in this regard, you take like Tim Tebow. Right. You know, he's been very open about this. Now, granted, he was a Heisman Trophy winner, blah, 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 so he had a lot of other things that gave him that platform. But high-profile platform or not, you have you have the opportunity to use the platforms um, in the vocations that God has given you. Now, is this different for guys and girls, though? Yeah, I think there's some differences uh, that we can talk about in terms of chastity uh, for men and for women. So for women, it's like having a secret that needs to be guarded. And I think women hmm. kind of instinctively understand this. So um, modesty, uh, I'm, this is a quote from uh, Jay Budashevsky, whose name I can never pronounce, but. Hey, as long as um, nobody else knows, else knows how it's pronounced and you act confident. Yeah, you that's it. right. <laughs> anyway, so he says, modesty suggests that there's something of great beauty and worth to be concealed. Immodesty suggests that it's too plain and cheap to need concealment. Wow. So the vir virtue for women, it, it, the chastity virtue for women is modesty. And the temptation or the vice is exposure. So mm -hmm. uh, on the, on the um, small end, if, if we can talk that way, uh, we'd be talking about, you know, immodest dress, poor dress, ex sure. exposing oneself by not uh, wearing clothes um on the extreme <laughs> end yeah. so on the extreme end i mean what do you what would it for a woman what would you say marcus is the most exposing thing a woman can do prostitution oh, right sure. Stripping, so that's whatever. like just completely thinking that you're so right. cheap that you just sell yourself okay so uh in first peter three uh listen how peter again he's talking to the whole church so he's including uh, so his letter is going to include Gentiles too, but listen to how he opposes what, how he speaks against uh, immodesty. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, for men, it's a little different. For men, it's like having a strength that must be directed. Hmm. So the temptation for, for a man is... Um, not so much in, uh, exposure, um, though he certainly can do things like that too, but more so the temptation is abuse. Uh, so again, speaking sort of uh, improperly on the small end, um, that would be eyeing a woman, taking advantage of her, uh, especially if uh, in, in some sort of... Uh, you know, power relationship, uh, you know, boss, coworker, that sure. kind of thing, self-defilement. Uh, and then on the extreme end, uh, I'm going to let you guess here what I'm thinking. What would be the most extreme form of uh, misuse of strength? Oh, rape. Rape, yeah. So on the extreme end, it would be rape. So listen, again, First uh, Peter 3, he, he uh, 
speaks against uh, this temptation, this, this masculine vice. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. In other words, don't live with them by, you know, forcing them and overpowering them. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And incidentally, I believe this is why we call a good man a gentleman, right? Mm. Because he's he's gentle. Brilliant. Uh, even though he's strong, he's gentle, and he shows deference to and respect to a woman. And likewise, a woman is called a lady because uh, she carries herself well, she dresses modestly, and so forth. So these are sort of two aspects of the same thing, chastity, but a little bit different for men and women on the whole. So when Paul dealt with, how, how did he go about teaching the Gentiles? They clearly needed some education. How did he go about tackling this with them? So the way he does it is, if you, you can look in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, uh, would be a good spot. And the first thing he does in 1 Corinthians 6 is he talks to them about what sex or what I call um, the marital act, because that's that's what it is. And he, he talks to them about what it is. Now, I think it might be kind of strange because you might think, well, I thought your topic was going to be celibacy and you're talking an awful lot about sex. Well, that's the point. That's actually what St. Hmm. Paul does is he has to tell people what sex or the marital act actually is so that they can understand uh, whether they should be engaging in it or not or, right. or how they should be living celibately or, or, in, or in marriage. Maybe a poor analogy, this is probably not very good, would be even if you never plan on lighting a fire in your life, maybe you don't have a fireplace, you don't go camping, you have no plans to ever light a fire, you still need to know about fire so that if you see one, you don't walk up to it, stick your hand in it and, oh, and this sort of thing. So just listen to the way St. Paul talks. So the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians 6, I'm in verse 12, um, the Corinthians say, all things are lawful for me, right? This is what people say. It's a free country. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Right. Uh, but St. Paul says, well, but not all things are helpful. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not, everything is not good for you. The Corinthians also say verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Uh, this is what we would call, um, well, it's, it's just a bodily process, right? And I just like, I need to eat hamburgers. I need to have sex and, and it's no, just no, no, something no, you're I do in Boulder. I don't want to get you in trouble there in Boulder. If somebody's listening, <laughs> Oh, for meat. what? For eating meat. Oh, well, there's plenty of people that eat meat. Yeah, it just has to be organic and hormone-free and all that stuff. Okay. But there's this idea that, well, you know, I can just sort of cut this part of my body and life off from who I am, and and it's and it's fine. When mm -hmm. Paul says, uh, he responds to this, he says, and God will destroy both the one and the other. He goes on the body is not meant for sexual immorality. Pornea is right. the Greek word, which you know you can kind of hear like pornography in there. Sure. Pornea just means um, marriage-only things outside of marriage. Mm -hmm. um, something that, that 
that is reserved for a husband and wife, and anything outside of that is pornea. Okay, the body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. In other words, St. Paul is saying, God made your body to do certain things and for certain purposes, and it, things just don't work. It, things won't go well for you if you, try, if you try things another way. And then St. Paul goes on, and this is the, the sort of the key thing here. He says, do you not know? And I think he says that because a lot of them don't know. They've never been told this. And I suspect that even in Lutheran churches, even in Christian churches, um, a lot of our young people are just not told this because, frankly, we just don't really want to talk to them about it. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? You see the issue here, right? Right. Um, you know. Never, he says. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. So St. Paul quotes the marriage institution uh, passage in Genesis, right? The two shall become one flesh. And he uses a very technical word here, uh, which is joined. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute? This is the same word that's used um, in Genesis when God uh, joins Adam and Eve together through the one flesh union. Now, when I was a kid, uh, I used to think that uh, becoming one flesh was the baby, hmm. you know, so that would be Cain, right? Because you have two people and right. they become one flesh. But the reality is that the, the baby, a baby is the, the fruit or sure. the result of the one flesh union. But the one flesh union is the marital act itself. So just to be clear. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so St. Paul, so just listen. What St. Paul is saying is that even in a case of prostitution, which has got to be one of the most meaningless, dehumanizing contexts, or sex that there can be. He says, even in that context, um, it is still a, a marital act. Now, what I don't mean is that the two people are now married, but it's like they are, God is uh, designed intercourse so to work that it sort of ought to be moving them towards marriage. Well, they're it, using it, it for, one flesh. for a position, for, for they're using it for a reason for which God did not give. Right. So it it is still marital, even though no marriage um, union arises because they haven't left father and mother. And, and you know, we could talk well, it's about like I always explain to young sisters that uh, you're committing adultery. You know, you're 14 years old and I'll tell them, you know, you're you know, don't commit adultery to your spouse. Remain, remain celibate, uh, remain chaste. Uh, well, you know, people don't think about. Well, if I yeah. if I have sex before marriage with somebody else, well, that doesn't affect my marriage. Well, uh, yeah, it does. It's just on one side of the marriage rather than the other. Yeah, and I, I just you just don't want to carry that with you no, into, into marriage. But again, for the for the purpose of this passage, I know we just have a couple minutes left. Sure. Um, Saint Paul is teaching these Gentiles in Corinth. He's saying that look, um, 
sex is by its very nature marital it's always that way it's always moving towards that end it's it's a part of what god uses to join together a husband and wife and even in prostitution even in a case where you think well this is just some bodily function and and i could just um we would call it, uh, you know, on college campus, hooking up. You know, I could just sort of hook up and just sort of do some things and try some things. Sure. No matter what you think, it is marital in, in nature. So, again, I'm not saying that if two people have sex, they automatically become married. But they, but the act is trying to make – is designed to make them so. And so the, it's experienced as almost like divorce. Sure. It, people that have live in this hookup culture basically suffer the effects of serial divorce. And then as you mentioned, if, if you do get married someday, that gets all carried into it. So in order to help them see the temptation for what it is, uh, Paul lays this out because uh, that half the battle is just calling a thing what it is sure. and recognizing um the lie. So the, the lie is, well, God's just out to ruin your fun and he doesn't want you to have sex because he's a meanie and all of this stuff. But the truth is, God, no, God's the one that made it. He knows how it works and he doesn't want you to get hurt. And he and also wants you to way. be able to enjoy sexuality in, in the confines of marriage as he intended it. Exactly. And so in chapter seven, which we're not going to have time for today, um, he goes on to talk about how married people should come together and uh and in fact that's part of what being married is all about um, so pastor hayes you've got a we could talk we could talk about celibacy all day <laughs> I, I actually could my own <laughs> students have probably heard me talk about this so way too much but minute left here any last advice for you know the college freshman sophomore sitting there with a plank stare going what you know what is what would what would you say to them? Why why do they need to take this seriously? In the in the small catechism, you know, all the what does this means have this pattern of you know we should fear and love God so that we do not do X but we do do Y. Right. When we get to the sec uh, the sixth commandment, there's nothing negative there. We should fear and love God so that we live a chaste and decent life in what we say and do, and husband, wife, love, and honor each other. It's all positive. It's all positive. Now, I don't know if there's any significance there or if I'm just making this up, but I think the impression is um, the church is just prude. Um, they're backwards. They don't want – you know, they're just not with the times. They're not with it. But the reality is uh, the church is very pro the marital act and we want people to have the, the best and healthiest marriages they can and even secular studies not that we need those to tell us that god's word is true because we know that god's word is true but even secular studies show that the people that have the the most frequent and the most satisfying sex lives are lifelong committed married couples absolutely and it's like no brainer yeah. we knew that from genesis chapters one and the two. divorce rate is virtually non-existent I I, yeah. I I always remember a statistic that um like 98 percent of all people were who were both virgins before they got married stay together yeah <laughs> it's funny how it works if we stick to what god intended for us because he knows best and he wants what's best yeah. for us 
Yeah, because again, um, the marital act is designed to join two people together for life. Uh, but the more people abuse it and suffer the the divorce type symptoms and and effects, um, then the harder it is for that to work down the line when they get married. Now the good news, uh, and I, this is what we need to close with, is that for anyone that's saying, "Well, gee, I've blown it," or you know, "It's too late for me," right. um, this is why we have Jesus. Absolutely. This is why we need a savior, no matter how well or poorly you think you've been doing, you need Jesus and you need the forgiveness of sins. And St. Paul does not tell these Gentiles who have blown it worse than most people, well, it's too late for you. He says, no, in fact, you were bought with a price. You are now, uh, your body even, is now a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. It is not too late. You have not blown it. Uh, the forgiveness of sins is yours, and so is sanctification and healing. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Amen. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Well, that's all we have time for here today in the Student Union. Check out the archives of this program at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus, we'll help. <laughs>